You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The law feature on Classic Business is brought to you by leading full-service law firm Weber Wenzel. Through an alliance with Linklaters and relationships with law firms across Africa, Weber Wenzel ensures that you have the best expertise wherever you do business. Now, there's been uh, a lot of uncertainty regarding what constitutes black ownership when it comes to broad-based ownership schemes and employee share ownership schemes in recent years. And uh, for some years now, the broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Commissioner has taken the view that discretionary collective enterprises are not entitled to be considered as black owners. Now, based on this stance, uh, she has made several negative findings regarding uh, entities in the past and even made accusations of, of fronting. A lot of this uncertainty has now been cleared up by a practice note that the Minister of Trade, Industry and Competition, Ibrahim Patel, published in the Government Gazette on the 18th of May. I'm joined now by Adam Ismail, partner at Weber Wenzel, to find out a little bit more about uh, the certainty that this note provides. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Now, the view that was previously held by the Commissioner was one I always found strange, considering that these broad-based schemes are the very embodiment of broad-based empowerment vehicles because they benefit large groups, either communities or employees. What is the background to this note? Yeah, maybe I take even a few steps further back in the evolution of BE, you know, sort of in, in the early to mid-90s, even to the late 90s, it was sort of characterized by very unregulated, sort of overly sophisticated uh, BE transactions which, which didn't yield much good. And, and an emerging trend that came up in the early 2000s was a very small class of black elite doing all the very good profitable deals and making obscene amounts of money from it. So in the mid-2000s, government policy was formalized into legislation and, and regulation. And, 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 and that was sort of the advent of, of what we know as broad-based black economic empowerment, where the benefit should be spread quite widely. And in these laws that came in in 2007, these concepts of having, you know, these types of schemes that benefit broad groups of sort of unnamed individuals mm. um, through a vehicle that controls the shares is acceptable. and. I guess we as an industry from about 2007 until about, call it 2016, 2017, adopted many practices around this in a relatively unregulated environment because there wasn't a regulator. And when the regulator came in, there were sort of certain views that, that, that were um, expressed on how these should actually run. So there's two things that had to be balanced up here. The one is sort of what is the plain meaning of the law said. There's a couple of boxes you tick, and if you tick those boxes, you should have the black ownership. And then there was this sort of philosophical divide with the regulator on saying, well, ownership actually means you've got to own something. You've got to have it. You've got to control it. You've got to be able to vote it. And anything that moves away from that can't be ownership. So if you're running a broad-based scheme that has lots of cash, and all you're really doing is on a philanthropic basis, dishing out money to people. Mm. Uh, each year, you know, it may be this group of people and the next year it may be that group of people and you tell them what they've got to do with it, they've got to spend it on education or health or whatever. But that's not really ownership. And it obviously did create lots of uncertainty. And hence, you know, the, the practice has really been welcomed by the industry, not wanting to necessarily engage in the philosophical debate, but to rather say, well, 
now we know what the law says. Uh, and let's follow the law until the laws change. And that is the kind of certainty that can allow businesses uh, to then continue uh, with this uh, um, mechanism to empower people through what are called discretionary collective enterprises. I mean, what are the highlights for you from the practice note regarding the rules now for these so-called discretionary collective enterprises? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of highlights. I mean, the first one is this broad statement just to say, that these types of discretionary schemes are acceptable and they do count for black ownership. Um, I mean, the uncertainty in business and, and, and the amount of money that it's, it costs historically to set up these schemes and fund them um, and to put on pause the, the benefits that they weigh out as they definitely created a lot of uncertainty. But, you know, to dig into some of, some of the detail more is, is one, of, one of the issues has always been if a minor, somebody under the age of 18, benefits from these types of, of, of vehicles, um, the, the regulator had a view that that's not ownership because a minor lacks capacity to make legal decisions. And, and the practice note has clarified that, you know, benefiting minors through these vehicles um, does amount to ownership because you don't take the capacity of the, of the beneficiary as the minor, you take the capacity of the vehicle and if it's a trust, it would be the trustee uh, and, and not necessarily uh, the beneficiaries uh, per se. Um, so that, that definitely helps. Mm. I think one of the other biggest ones is there's a requirement in the code that you've got to determine who the beneficiaries are. And if you can't determine who they are, you've got to define them by some sort of class. And then you've got to have a formula to, to determine what they will receive. And what historically the practice has been is we'd set up a vehicle and we'd say 100% of the beneficiaries would be black persons. And every cent that this trust makes must go to black persons. And, and on that basis, we'd expect the vehicle to be treated as a black shareholder. And, and, and that's been confirmed now by the practice like to say that is acceptable. What you don't have to do is go and individually recognize people as the owners of these shares and they've got to own these shares for the duration of the scheme. Mm. The scheme as the black person owns these shares and gets the benefits and how it then buries up those benefits to this defined group of people is enough to prove what is black ownership. So if only 50% would go to black persons, then only half of the ownership would be treated as black. But, you know, most of these schemes um, from between 85 and 100% of, uh, of, of, of the dividends or, or the cash that's generated would go to black persons. And it would normally be black women, black people from rural areas and, and the like, the most vulnerable. Mm. But what it does also highlight is that, you know, if you've got one of these schemes and you've set it up to uh, invest in early childhood development centres or, or other areas, that, that you can use these as vehicles for that kind of community investment. It doesn't have to be a, a direct trickle dividend into the hands of, of the beneficiaries. There is broader scope. That is correct. That is correct. And, you know, a, a point that mustn't be missed is, and there has been some, some work done around this, is in, a, in the last 10, 15 years, the amount of money that has actually gone into benefiting larger communities through these schemes is, is astronomical. 
Uh, and if that should be suddenly shut down, you know, I think that we will have a major uh, gap in, in those communities and a potential crisis on our well, I think uh, it is to be welcome uh, and has certainly been welcomed as such by uh, the broader community, uh, those companies that have established these schemes uh, and the advisors in the broader BE ecosystem in the main seem fairly complementary um, of this uh, certainty that has been provided by the Minister. Adam Ismail, partner at uh, Weber Wenzel with the law feature here on Classic Business as always, brought to you by Weber Wenzel with over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. Knowing that limitations exist and knowing that there are no boundaries to your possibilities, combining knowledge and experience to provide tailored and commercial business solutions, leveraging key relationships with global firm locators and law firms across Africa, that is the value of experience. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. See the value of experience at webberwenzel.com.